So uh, during the Thanksgiving week of this year, our family spent three days in the parks of Disney World. Some of you call that the happiest place on earth. Um, other sane people realize it is complete chaos, and uh, they've never been to a Caribbean beach, I guess. Uh, but anyways, um, we were there, and uh, we knew that Thanksgiving week, Disney is always busy. Thanksgiving week is its busiest season of the year, and we chose to go then because schedules work out and all of that. And so uh, our, our fears were uh, founded when we would see multiple times throughout the day, rides would be over two hours in length just to wait to get on them. And so um, one of the best pieces of advice that we received before our Disney trip is a coworker of Carlin's who had been that summer came to her and said, Carlin, I want to give you some advice. You can't do everything. You can't. And if you try to do everything, you will be miserable. And no one will have fun. And you will not enjoy your trip. And so instead, pick a few things to do, prioritize those, and do that. Now, Knowing Jordan, and I learned from Dave Clothier and Matt Clark all the ways to hack into the system and to, to, to do it and plan it the best. So I tried to listen, and, and so every night before we would uh, go to the park that next day, every night I would ask Carlin, what do you want to do tomorrow? Like, what are your things? And I would prioritize those trips or those rides or that experience because we knew that we could not do it all. And we talked a lot leading up to our trip about purpose. And I would ask Carlin, what is the purpose of this Disney trip? And her answer was always to, for Cooper to have a magical experience. Okay. So then I would ask, does that mean that we need to ride every ride? No. Does that mean that we need to see everything? No. Does that mean that we need to be in the park every moment that it is open to us? That was a hard no to get, but I got to know eventually. Well, I mean, we're only there, or is that the purpose? <laughs> the purpose of the trip was for Cooper to have a great time. And so as line links continued to grow, and as we got tired and hungry, and our legs were sore, and we just wanted to go home, and I could see the sadness come over Carlin's face because the expectations were not aligning with the experience, I would remind her, and I would remind myself, the purpose is for Cooper to have fun, not to do everything, or ride every ride, or see every character, it is to have fun. See, purpose matters. Knowing your purpose is the first step of fulfilling your purpose. Before you can fulfill a purpose, you have to know the purpose. And we need to be careful with that because if we don't know our purpose, then we will not fulfill it or we may accidentally but probably not fulfill it. Like, think about a greeter at our church. If, if we said the purpose of a greeter is to stand at the door and welcome people, then their purpose is defined. But, but sometimes the greeter feels like their purpose is to open the door for everyone. Now, that is a way to welcome everyone and to create a warm environment, 
but you can open the door to everyone without a smile, without speaking to them, without being friendly or warm or welcoming, and you could come down from the end of the day and go, well, I was the best greeter in the world because every single person avoided touching the door. But that's not the purpose of a greeter. So a, a greeter can open every door and still fail at the job, but a greeter could also have a few people have to open their own door, but everybody be welcomed and warmly received, and they win. They do their job right. See, purpose matters, and knowing your purpose is the first step of fulfilling your purpose. Today, we're going to look at the purpose of the one. We're going to look at the purpose of the Messiah, the sent one, the Christ, the anointed one. We're going to look at his purpose. And so over the last two weeks, we have started in the Old Testament. The first week, we started with a hint at the one. In, in, excuse me. And God, in Genesis chapter 3, said, I will send one, or he is coming, that will strike the head, though his heel is struck. In Genesis 3, in the aftermath of the fall, when the rebellion of humanity was on full display, God says, I will send help. Last week, we looked at the signs of the one, the one, the anointed one that would come. He would be born of a virgin, be born in Bethlehem, grow up in Egypt, be called a Nazarene. He'll be from the lineage of David and the lineage of, or the tribe of Judah. And we looked last week at how Jesus perfectly fulfills every prophecy and promise ever made about the anointed one. And we celebrated that our God perfectly orchestrates his story in our world. This week, we're going to look at the purpose of the one. And Isaiah chapter 61 is the first place I'm going to start. Isaiah is right in the middle of the Bible. If you think that Psalms is, keep going a little bit. You'll get there to Isaiah. If you get to Jeremiah or Ezekiel, you've gone just a little bit too far. Isaiah chapter 61 is our springboard from the Old Testament. God tells us in Isaiah 61 what he is going to do with this anointed one. And it says this, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord anointed me. And remember, Christ, Messiah, they all just mean anointed one. So the Lord has anointed me. Why? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, an opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah 61 tells us what this anointed one of God will do. Good news to the poor, healing and helping to those that are bound up and brokenhearted. He will proclaim liberty to the captives, release to those that are bound, comfort to the mourning, and he will proclaim favor and judgment of God. It's not specific in Isaiah 61 who the anointed one is, but the role of the anointed one, the purpose, is clear. He is to bring hope and help and healing. He is to bring the goodness of God and the good news of God. And so our Main focal passage today is Luke chapter 4. So if you want to flip there with me, Luke chapter 4. As a church, we are reading through the book of Luke, and so I'm trying to teach as much as I can from Luke. Luke chapter 4 is Jesus coming to Nazareth on a Sabbath day. And let's read this. We're going to read verses 16 through 21. 
It says this, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, what he normally did, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. This should sound familiar now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Verse 21, our final verse of the day. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Let me pray for us. God, speak now. We ask that you teach us from your word, that you reveal to us the purpose of your anointed one, the sent one, the saving one. Lord, I pray that all of us walk out today understanding why the child was born in that town of Bethlehem, because this was his purpose. And so, Lord, I pray today that we see your hand at work both in the scriptures, in the life of Jesus, but also in our lives as you are doing these works today. Lord, open our eyes and our ears to hear you. Clear our minds to understand you. Lord, we need to hear your word now. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so let's teach this for a second. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus goes to the temple. That was his custom. That's what he did. He went to church. Probably not one out of four weeks. He probably went pretty often, right? He, he went to church, and he is there on the Sabbath day, and it is assumed that the ruler shows up, and he sees Jesus, and because of Jesus' reputation in the culture and in the town, he goes and he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you do the reading today? Some of you would be freaking out that there's a, you know, on-the-spot reading you got to do. I need a few days of advance notice, right? But Jesus gets the text, the scroll, and there would have been a calendared reading for that day. There would have been a text from Isaiah that Jesus was supposed to read. But if you read carefully in verse 17, Jesus unrolls the scroll and he finds the passage he wants to read. Jesus is purposefully choosing this passage today to declare what he is doing. He chose this passage on purpose to declare his purpose so that all may know who he is and what he is doing. And he reads that passage, a familiar passage to those people, because they were anticipating and awaiting that anointed one who would bring good or proclaim good news to the poor who was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus reads that. He rolls up the scroll, and the tradition was you stood to read and you sat to teach. And so Jesus gives them back the scroll, and he goes with all eyes glued on him because this moment is heavy and weighty because they are going, what is he about to say? And he goes and he sits down and he drops the bomb on him, doesn't he? 
Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the anointed one. I'm he. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah, the Christ, the one that will bring hope and healing and help. I am the one that is proclaiming liberty and favor and good news. It is my purpose to usher in this kingdom of God, this good news of God, this gospel of God that is open and available to all people, every tribe and tongue, every people and nation. Jesus is saying, it is me. It's my purpose, the first thing, is to proclaim the good news to the poor, and that's not just the economically disadvantaged at the day. It is those that are uh, humble and needy before God. See, everything in that list that he says the anointed one will do has a physical component, and everyone has a spiritual component. That there's an earthly side of it, and there is an eternal side of it. So Jesus is saying, Yes, I am I'm proclaiming good news to the poor, but also the spiritually poor. The next one, he says, proclaim liberty to the captives or freedom to the prisoners. And yes, Jesus will set free. In their days, they were thinking of those that bind up the brokenhearted. Those were those suffering with ailments or handicaps or possessions by demons. And we will see and watch Jesus release people from their handicap and their ailment and their possessions. But, but also, there is a spiritual component to this because everywhere else that Luke writes this word, of liberty or um, liberty or uh, he says a different way oppression everywhere else he is writing that that word of freedom is translated forgiveness in every other passage in Luke and every other passage in Acts that word is translated as forgiveness and so yes Jesus is granting freedom to those that are struggling, but he's also talking about forgiveness to those who are held captive, who are oppressed by sin. Jesus is pointing to this dual side of what he is doing. Sight to the blind, yes, he will heal a blind beggar, but he'll also open the eyes of so many to see that God is working in their midst. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Liberty, again, to the oppressed. This is freedom and forgiveness, again. And finally, he said, the year of the Lord's favor. That's God's kingdom being brought here. The good news of God's loving offer to all people is available now. See, Jesus was sent to do these things, these promises of Isaiah 61, these earthly problems he was sent to combat. But Jesus also, and more importantly, had a spiritual focus to everything that he did. See, it's really easy for us to focus on the eternal and forget, I mean, to focus on the earthly and forget the eternal. It's really easy in Jesus' day, for them to bring the sick and go, hey, will you heal them? And then the second he starts teaching, they just walk away. Because we're so consumed with the urgent problems of today that, that we've forgotten the eternal problems of forever. Think about it this way. I guarantee you that probably on our list, our prayer list, and on every single prayer list of every single Baptist church, we'll just start there, in the country are people that we are praying for 
because they have physical problems. They have, they're fighting cancer, they're having surgery, they've fallen and they're struggling with their health. And should we be praying for that? Absolutely. But here's my biggest, like, I don't even know what to call it, conviction this week with this. How many of those people are lost and we're just praying for their physical problems? What, what if their leg gets better and their eternity is in hell separated from God? We can focus so much on these earthly problems and completely forget the eternal needs of people. And, and we want their, their body to be healed and their soul to just waste away? No. We, we should be praying for the hurts and ailments of people. Absolutely. But if they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we should be praying for that first. But we've fallen into the traps of elevating the earthly over the eternal. But Jesus was not willing to do that. In Luke chapter 4, we will see um, how he fights that. He combats that. Luke chapter 4, verse 42. So a little bit later in the same chapter, maybe another page or a few columns over. In verse 42, it says this. When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. He had been healing. He had been uh, releasing people of possession. And now he is exhausted. So he moves to a desolate place to pray and to be with God. And the people sought him. And they, uh, what does it say? They came to him and they would have kept him from leaving them. All of these people see Jesus the miracle man, and they just want more miracles to happen. All of these people have real needs and real issues and real problems and real sickness, and they're going, Jesus, you can really fix it. And so everybody is going over there and just filling up his day forever. And they would have kept him with them and not let him leave. But verse 43, what does Jesus say? To the face of real people with real problems and real needs, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was not sent simply to fix earthly needs, but to solve the eternal problem. Jesus could have busied every moment of every day for the rest of his life fixing sickness. But that was not his purpose. His purpose was to create salvation. And you and I can get caught up in doing the good things. Healing people is good. And miss the great thing that is needed above any of the other good things. Because the good things can distract us from the great things, but Jesus wasn't distracted. Another time, Jesus, they tried to distract him. In Luke chapter 5, one chapter over, Matthew has chosen to follow Jesus and surrendered his life and left his tax booth and is now following Jesus. And he says, I want all these people that I was around, all my friends, all these other tax collectors, all these other sinners, all these other people, uh, I want them to come and to meet Jesus. And so he throws this huge feast with all of his funds and he throws this great party and Jesus is there with all of these sinners, eating the food and drinking the wine. And that's when the Pharisees show up in verse 30. And what do they say? 
The Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? These these great religious people could not fathom that this supposed anointed one of God would waste his time with non-religious people. Why are you doing this? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's convicting when I look over my life and I, I ask, well, how many sinners are, have I allowed close to me? How many sinners do I seek out relationship with? How many people that are away from God do I actively interact with on a daily basis that I can actually proclaim who God is by my lifestyle and by my words? Jesus intentionally sought out the sick. He didn't insulate himself with religious people. Again, Jesus will share his purpose in Luke chapter 19. He's walking one day and he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree and he knows who Zacchaeus is. This man has a reputation. This man had sold out his country and his people for his own selfish gain. And Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. And while they are there, Zacchaeus has his heart transformation where he is convicted by the spirit of all that he has done and and he, he... He repents of it, and he tries to uh, make remedy for it, and he is now wanting to follow Jesus. And at the end of that conversion story, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says this, again about his purpose. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus has said it's to proclaim the good news in other towns, It is to be around the sick because they need healing. It is to seek and save the lost. This is his purpose. So what is the the purpose of the anointed one? It was to change eternities, not earthly situations. They wanted a king who would push back Rome. And Jesus says, I'm going to be the king that will last, a kingdom that will last forever. And I'm fighting not against a group of men. I am fighting against Satan and the infection of sin that he has placed in the hearts of men. The purpose of the anointed one was to change eternities. Israel cried out for their earthly situation, but God had an eternal solution. Jesus knew that his purpose was proclaim the good news to all people that salvation is here. Jesus knew that his purpose was to give his life so that they might live. Jesus knew that his purpose was to be sacrificed as the spotless lamb of God for the sins of man. Jesus knew his purpose was greater than healing a leg, releasing a demon, but offering a chance at redemption and forgiveness to every man, woman, and child, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Cooper and I have been reading an Advent devotional, and I wanted to read, this was from December 7th, what he said about Jesus and God's solution to our problem. It says this, it's it's a book called uh, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him by Paul David Tripp. It's, It's really good. It says this, God's response to our rebellion was to give himself. That's the message of Christmas right there. God's response to our rebellion was to give himself. He is the great redeeming, transforming gift. He is the rescue. 
He is the forgiveness. He is the restoration. He is life and hope and peace and security. There is no salvation apart from Him. There is no deliverance from the presence and the power of sin apart from Him. There is no restored relationship with God apart from Him. There is no new heaven and new earth apart from Him. There is no end of sickness and suffering apart from Him. There is no defeat of death apart from him. There is simply no such thing as redeeming grace and all that it means apart from the willingness of God to give himself in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus knew his purpose was to do all of those things, to change everything for everyone. And he was clear about his purpose. That's why in the garden when he was struggling because he knew what is ahead. He prayed to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. He knew his purpose was to lay down his life. That salvation was only possible through this act of obedience, that only the only hope for humanity was the crucifixion. And so, like a silent sheep before his shears, Jesus endures the agony of Calvary. We spend a lot of our prayers asking Jesus to fix situations and problems, ailments and issues, but Jesus came most importantly to meet our greatest need, our eternal need, our salvation. That is the purpose of the anointed one. I'll keep saying it every week. Christmas is the celebration of our God stepping into our world to save us from our sin. That is what we celebrate this season. Jesus could have been busy with a lot of good things, but he focused his life on the eternal things and the great thing. Jesus knew his purpose. And as we close, I want you to consider this this morning. Do you know your purpose? Do do you know your purpose? I mean, you, you might even want to say, at blank age, my purpose is... In, in this area of life, my purpose is at this stage of life, because I live on this street or at this address, my purpose is because I work at this job. What is your purpose? What are the great things God wants to use you for with your gifts, with your talents, with your energy, with your time, with your position and your platform. How does God want to use you? Some of us, or we're all in different situations. Some of us work and others are retired. Some of us are primary caretakers of people. Some of us are primarily taken care of. Some of us have dependents and some of us are dependent. Some of us are young and some of us are old and some of us don't know which one we are yet. <coughs> the, the Westminster Catechism gives us a, a, a little bit of a hint at what the chief end of man is. It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's a good generic way of thinking about what is your purpose, to glorify God. That's not a selfish thing. That's a very selfless thing. To live your life pointing to Him in everything that you do and to enjoy Him in it. To to bask in His goodness and greatness and awesomeness. 
I can give you maybe some more specifics. If you're a parent, your purpose is not to make your child happy. Your purpose is to point them to the grace of God and encourage them to follow him. If you are a neighbor, your purpose is not to have no leaves in your yard. Okay? Your purpose is to live in a manner that reflects the goodness of God. Again, just like the greeter, if you live with no leaves in your yard and your neighbors hate you, you are failing. If you work, your purpose is not to make X number of dollars. Your purpose is to work hard for the Lord in all that you do, reflecting Him and His grace. If you're a child, your purpose is not to just pester your parents and get everything that you want. Your purpose is to seek the Lord and honor your parents in it. You have a purpose, no matter what your age is, no matter what your physical limitations stop you from doing, no matter how smart or how wealthy or how involved or how connected or how outgoing or anything like that, you have a purpose. And it's more than just existing and cheering for the cowboys. You have a purpose that God wants to use you as his ambassador, as his instrument of grace, as as his uh, being in this world declaring his greatness. And your purpose extends beyond earthly problems. But think eternally. What is your purpose and are you actively living it out? It's easy to get caught up at Disney trying to do everything. And it's easy in our lives, to get caught up trying to do everything. Trying to be everywhere, to be everything to everyone. You can't. You can't ride every ride or rush from one area to another. No matter how miserable it is, you don't just go, well, this is what we're doing. No. We need to think of our lives in the same way. We can't do it all. So, we need to intentionally stop and think. What must I do? Not what can I do. It's more than what do I like doing. It's even more than what do I want to do. Because it's not about us. The question is, what must I do? And we must ask that question over and over and recalibrate as we get off course. And remember, what must we do? It's not just good things, but what is the great thing God is purposing you for? Because the first step of accomplishing your purpose is knowing your purpose. And I invite you to consider, what is your purpose? Why has God placed you where you are, around who you are around, with what you have? Why has he placed you there, and how does he want to use you? Jesus knew his purpose and was clearly focused on it. Do you know your purpose and are you